What a Day is brought to you by Ulta Beauty. This AAPI Heritage Month, Ulta Beauty is celebrating the joy of belonging, belonging to a community composed of intricate connections, belonging to our past and our future, to the heritage and birthright that is beauty. Ulta Beauty shines a light on the AAPI community, passing the mic to brand founders and creators to tell their stories centered on heritage, joy, and beauty. They carry AAPI-owned and founded brands like Live Tinted, Peach and Lily, Glamnetic, Tree Hut, and more. Shop AAPI-owned and founded brands at Ulta Beauty Stores and Ulta.com. It's Thursday, October 20th. I'm Priyanka Arabindi. And I'm Juanita Tolliver, and this is What A Day, where we regret to inform you that there's a new story about James Corden being rude at a restaurant on the other side of the country this time. He is Mr. Worldwide in the absolute worst way possible. You know, the guy who just goes around terrorizing servers and waitstaff and restaurant workers. It's not the brand you want to have. No. On today's show, British Prime Minister Liz Truss faces more political turmoil. Plus, a Hollywood trailblazer will be the first Asian American to appear on U.S. currency. But first, with only 18 days until the midterm elections, voter fraud is front and center for Republicans, but not in the way that they usually like it to be. You know, the lies they tell about voter fraud, which was practically non-existent in 2020, sans the Trump voters in the villages. You know, the white Florida retirees who all live in the same community and all admitted to voting more than once. Well, right now, Republicans are facing scrutiny and questions about their claims as video has been released of Florida police arresting people for alleged voter fraud under Governor Ron DeSantis's direction. And separately, a judge has asserted that Trump lied about voter fraud in a previous lawsuit. OK, so a lot is happening here. Can you give us a breakdown of, you know, this latest Republican farce about voter fraud? All right, let's start in Florida. So DeSantis targeted and arrested 19 people in August for allegedly voting illegally in the 2020 election because they have criminal records. They're being charged with felony voter fraud, and these arrests come after DeSantis set up the Orwellian Office of Election Crimes and Security. It's really got a ring to it, you know? (laughs) The most heartbreaking of these videos is that the people being arrested are flat out dumbfounded about what's happening to them. Right. They're afraid. They're confused. They're worried about their families. And it's demonstrative of DeSantis's cruel, shameful intentions, especially after Florida voters in 2018 overwhelmingly approved of Constitutional Amendment 4. Because under this amendment, a person in Florida is eligible to register and vote if the person has completed all of the terms of their sentence related to any felony convictions except for murder or sexual assault. It's that exception that seems to be the primary source of confusion for people. And in the footage of the arrest, you can hear people saying that no one told them they couldn't vote. Okay, so let me get this straight. They register to vote. They received voter registration cards just like any other voter, but nobody told them that they couldn't vote. It kind of sounds like this was maybe Florida's fault and they probably shouldn't have sent them that stuff or like made it seem like they could vote if they couldn't. Why are they getting arrested? It feels like Florida fucked up. Florida messed this up. That's exactly right, Priyanka. Yeah. And some of the people being arrested can be heard in the video saying that they were even encouraged to register to vote just in case. And if there were any issues with their eligibility, they were told that they just wouldn't be issued a voter registration registration card. Listen to this statement from one of the arrests. No one ever really explained all that much to me. I told the guys when they came out here. The guy there asked me, he says, hey, you're ready to vote. I said, oh, I'm, I'm pretty sure I can. He goes, 
well, are you still on probation? I said, no. I got off probation like a month ago. He goes, well, then you can probably vote. Hey, just fill out the form, and if you can vote, then they'll let you give you a card. If you can't vote, then you won't. And I'm like, all right. And like I mentioned, the state did issue them voter registration cards and no flags were raised. On top of all of that, there is nothing on voter registration forms that notes the massive exception. And the Florida Department of State didn't flag their ineligibility. Honestly, this should have been a simple situation of the state flagging their voter registration applications years ago and immediately communicating their ineligibility to vote based on their prior criminal records. Totally. But instead... DeSantis has chosen to execute a series of harmful, cruel perp walks. The reality is that these people were confused about the changes in the laws and how it applied to them. And at every turn, DeSantis is doing the grimiest shit to shame and traumatize people who are doing their best to follow the rules. Now, one target for fraud DeSantis should be going after is prominent West Palm Beach criminal Donald J. Trump, who tried to commit election fraud in multiple states when he asked election officials to find votes, to stop counting votes, and claimed voter fraud was a rampant issue. But just yesterday, a judge determined that Trump lied about voter fraud allegations in Georgia. Okay, I bet this is surprising to absolutely nobody that Trump has lied yet again. Zero surprise. Yeah, but how did we figure that out? All right, this revelation comes from the U.S. District Court Judge David Carter, who has been reviewing emails from attorney John Eastman, who helped Trump and his allies come up with schemes to overturn the 2020 election. After reviewing those emails, Judge Carter wrote in an opinion that emails from Eastman, quote, showed that President Trump knew that specific numbers of voter fraud were wrong, but continued to tout those numbers both in court and to the public, and that Eastman has to turn the emails over to the January 6th Selects Committee because they are likely evidence of a crime. Apparently, Trump signed that affidavit that featured inflated voter fraud numbers in Fulton County, Georgia, and in doing so, Trump swore under oath that the numbers were correct when he knew otherwise. Now that these documents are headed to the January 6th Selects Committee, and most likely the Department of Justice too, let's see if Trump's fraud leads to one of those, you know, chaotic, ridiculous perp walks. But since y'all can't see me, insert massive eye roll and side eye to all of that. (laughs) Turning to news abroad, though, we have some updates from Iran. Yesterday, Iranian climber Elnaz Rakabi returned to Tehran and was greeted by hundreds of people cheering and chanting her name. Over the weekend, Rakabi climbed at an international competition in South Korea without her hijab, which very quickly led to concerns about her whereabouts and her safety afterwards. Rakabi's actions came as protests in Iran following the death of Masa Amini are now in their second month. The women-led protest movement has swept across the country to become the biggest challenge to the Iranian government in a decade. Look, I'm glad that Elnaz got this warm reception of support. Like, that is a strong showing, but I'm still concerned for her safety. Based on that fake, weird, confusing Instagram apology about her hijab just slipping off. Very weird. But also, she's back on the ground in Iran, and we know they could potentially imprison her at any moment. It's certainly not safe. To hear more about what the protesters are experiencing and how the people of Iran are feeling as these protests continue, I spoke with Jasmine Ramsey. She is the deputy director of the Center for Human Rights in Iran, which is a nonprofit based in New York. I started by asking her what she's hearing from people on the ground. Even before this current round of protests broke out on September 16th in the summer, 
many members of civil society were arrested, which the judiciary chief called, if you can believe it, preventative arrests of um, more than 92 members of civil society who were kind of yanked from their homes or on the street or where they're working from and just thrown in jail. And this is part of a concentrated campaign to shut everyone up. And that's, of course, alongside internet disruptions, which have made it very difficult, not just for us, but journalists around the world to reach sources inside Iran. So what we hear from people on the ground is immense anger at the ruthless repression by the state against protesters, many of whom are extremely young. We're talking about women being at the forefront, young girls and children. And these people also are among the more than 200 who are dead and have been killed since these protests broke out on September 16th. Yeah. At this point, you know, we've seen a lot of videos of women in Iran burning their hijabs, cutting their hair. But this movement has gone beyond just women, beyond just young people. Can you explain, you know, who all is coming together in Iranian society to protest? Yeah, I think you can understand that by looking at two of the main sort of slogans that we hear chanted over and over again. The first one is woman, life, freedom, which equates women's rights with freedom and and life, saying that it's all equal on the same stance and death to the dictator. And in that case, people are saying that they don't want to live in a country where a supreme leader sits on the top. So they're really calling for fundamental social and political change, not just reform. And uh, as far as who's joining, it's all facets of society. So we saw the protests happen in small towns, in big cities. We see elderly people, we see young people, everyone seems to be coming out and joining. And another thing that's so interesting is clips that we see of just protesters, peaceful people being detained by security agents. Sometimes they're heavily armed and sometimes they're plainclothes agents. And just people gathering around whoever's being detained and trying to free them from the grips of these security forces. So there's really a collective movement that's continuing to grow in Iran against these repressive state policies. Yeah, this isn't the first large protest movement that has swept across Iran in recent years, even. There was the Green Movement in 2009, the Bloody November protests in 2019. Can you explain a little bit about how this movement is different than ones in the past? Well, this movement is actually the culmination of a protest movement that's really been growing in Iran for the last six years. Mm -hmm. And this movement is defined by anti-state sentiment. The people are opposing a state that acts with impunity. And they're calling for accountability. They're calling for serious change across all levels. They don't want this government that only exists for its own survival, which maims, kills, and detains people that dare to peacefully oppose it. Right. Earlier this week on our show, we talked about the fire that erupted at Tehran's notorious Evin prison. And while the exact circumstances of what caused it and what is happening are a little unclear, can you tell us what protesters have been saying about this incident? What that speaks to is just trauma after trauma that people in Iran are enduring, and they've been enduring for years and years. It's going to be a long time before we actually know the facts of what happened there. And there's just no way to investigate it because the Iranian government blocks independent media from reporting on anything. I mean, if you're going to dare do that, they're going to throw you in prison. 
people can die in a prison and there's no legal recourse. There's no means of obtaining an independent investigation. Um, So this is what people are protesting against. I'm very curious about the sentiment that you are gathering from people. How do you think they are feeling? Are they feeling hopeful that these protests can enact change? Are they feeling more angry, more upset about what they've been subjected to? I just would love to know, I'm sure it's a whole range of things, how people feel in this moment. It is a range. It's very difficult to say what everyone is feeling. But one thing that we keep hearing over and over again is that people say things will never be the same after this. And there was a really powerful image that came out of Tehran uh, shortly after Masa Amini, the young woman whose death sparked these protests. Right. And it said, after Masa, everything hangs by a hair. Referring not only to the fact that that young girl, you know, she died because allegedly she was showing her hair, but also that things are hanging in the balance. There's a sense of people that change is so desperately needed. Mm -hmm. And they're really calling for international action to help them bring about this change. That was my conversation with Jasmine Ramsey, the deputy director of the Center for Human Rights in Iran. Her group also has some insights for what the international community should do to help the Iranian people. We'll have a link to their website in our show notes. Obviously, we will continue following these protests in the days and weeks to come, but that is the latest for now. We'll be back after some ads. What a day is brought to you by Books. This Mother's Day, give mom her flowers. She absolutely deserves the best. And that's why you should send her farm fresh flowers from Books. That's short for bouquets. Books has modern designs and unique flowers you can't find anywhere else. And with 20% off, you can send some to mom, your wife, your auntie, even your granny, okay? Anyone who deserves flowers in your life mm-hmm. it doesn't have to be holiday specific. You get flowers, you're getting flowers, <laughs> everyone's getting flowers. <laughs> Go to books.com and use promo code WAD for 25% off. That is B-O-U-Q-S dot com, promo code WAD, Books promo code WAD. What a Day is brought to you by Fast Growing Trees. Fast Growing Trees is the biggest online nursery in the U.S. with more than 10,000 different kinds of plants and over 2 million happy customers. They have everything you could possibly want, like fruit trees, palm trees, evergreens, houseplants, and so much more. Plus, Fast Growing Trees makes it easy to order online, and your plants are shipped directly to your door in one to two days. And along with their 30-day Alive and Thrive guarantee, they offer free plant consultation forever. We love Fast Growing Trees here. I keep telling you that the many plants that I've gotten from these folks are yet hanging on. Um, And that's not because I have a green thumb, okay? This spring, fast-growing trees, they have the best deals online, up to half off on select plants and other deals. And listeners to our show get an additional 15% off their first purchase when using the code WAD at checkout. That's an additional 15% off at fastgrowingtrees.com using the code WAD at checkout. Fastgrowingtrees.com, code WAD. Offer is valid for a limited time. Terms and conditions may apply. This show is sponsored by BetterHelp. Therapy is a safe space to get things off your chest and to work through whatever's weighing you down. If you're thinking of starting therapy, give BetterHelp a try. It's entirely online and designed to be convenient, flexible, and suited to your schedule. Just fill out a brief questionnaire to get matched with a licensed therapist and switch therapists anytime for no additional charge. 
therapy is great for, you know, you know that thing that just is like sitting on your shoulder, you can't get over it, and you just sometimes need somebody to talk through it with? Therapy can be helpful for that, you all, okay? You got to get it off your chest, you know? And you can do that with BetterHelp. So visit betterhelp.com slash wad today to get 10% off your first month. That's 10% off your first month at betterhelp.com slash wad. Let's wrap up with some headlines. Headlines. Russian President Vladimir Putin on Wednesday declared martial law in four Ukrainian regions that were illegally claimed as part of Russia. These include the regions of Donetsk, Luhansk, Kherson, and Zaporizhia, all of which Moscow annexed through sham referendums last month. Russian forces have recently suffered battlefield losses across these territories, and the declaration gives Putin's military the power to arrest and detain civilians within their borders. Ukraine's head of national security said that the decree could signal a, quote, mass deportation of Ukrainians, and Russian military officials are set to assume control of those four Ukrainian territories starting today. The escalations keep coming from Putin, and it makes me think about what he said earlier this week, that this military escalation would only last for two weeks and that it would be ending after that. But like I bet y'all then, I stand firm in believing that this has no end in sight. And that's really scary and troubling. Terrifying. As we get further into the school year, Texas schools are sending parents DNA kits and encouraging them to store their children's DNA in the event that they go, quote unquote, missing. The distribution of these kits is an initiative from the National Child Identification Program, which focuses on missing children at large. But the rollout comes less than six months after the Robb Elementary School shooting in Uvalde that left 19 children dead. As you might recall, the only way police could identify the children's bodies was by matching their DNA to their parents. So even though the initiative isn't directly linked to Uvalde, the timing here serves as a grim reminder of the massacre and the fact that assault weapons can still end up in the wrong hands of anybody else who wants to try to commit these violent crimes. They're not addressing the root problem here. It really is just the worst reminder of what children in this country face every single day going to school, what families in this country face every single day sending their children to school. And it really shouldn't be like that. Donald Trump had more than one legal consequence for his actions yesterday. In addition to the John Eastman emails that we mentioned earlier, the former president also sat for a deposition as part of a defamation lawsuit by the writer E. Jean Carroll. Carroll claimed that Trump raped her in the mid-1990s. After Trump denied that claim in 2019, she sued him. This trial is scheduled for February 6th, and Carol's lawyers have said that she may file another lawsuit against Trump in November under a new New York law allowing sexual assault victims to take legal action outside of the statute of limitations. Embattled British Prime Minister Liz Truss was forced to fire another high-ranking member of her cabinet on Wednesday. And I, I, I question the word force because she's really picking these folks off one by one just hours after she was grilled by lawmakers for her failing economic plan. Truss's home secretary got the chop after she used her personal email to send a government document to a member of parliament. And her ousting comes just a few days after Truss fired the chancellor behind her controversial tax plan that sank the value of the British pound. Members of parliament have called for Truss to resign after a mere six weeks in power, which has got to be a record or something. And yesterday's Q&A session in parliament was no different with lawmakers literally booing her on the floor. 
Here's one lawmaker listing every single one of Truss's failures thus far with the support of his colleagues. Corporation tax cut, gone. 20p tax cut, gone. Economic credibility, gone. Call and repeat. Wow. My feelings are hurt. Like, I don't know what she experienced in that moment, but my feelings are hurt from hearing that. But apparently she refused to back down and had this to say in response. Mr. Speaker, I am a fighter and not a quitter. Miss Ma'am, that was a pretty weak rebuttal. <laughs> when you got the whole room shouting at you. I like the cheers. Like, I like that it gets rowdy in there. It kind of sounds fun. I'm into the face-to-face engagement. But meanwhile, <laughs> British families are still struggling to keep up with the rising cost of living. A new report found that food prices there soared last month. The highest cost the United Kingdom has seen in 40 years. We may be moving into a cashless society, but we are still celebrating cash representation wins. The late actress Anna Mae Wong appears on a quarter that starts shipping out on Monday, making her the first Asian American to appear on U.S. currency. Wong became a movie star in the 1920s, enduring anti-Asian xenophobia that was rampant at that time. Racist casting meant that she often had to play the villain, but she fought for lead roles and for increased representation of Asian Americans in film and in media. This is a really exciting bright spot, Priyanka. Like, I'm really excited to see this coin roll out. Listen, it's rare that we have exciting news on the show. I will say, I'm not really a cash person. I don't really have cash and coins on me ever. But I think that's going to have to change because this is really cool. Y'all heard it here. Priyanka's going to go buy a roll of... Anna May Wong quarters, and I'm down for it. And a hearty we did it, Joe, to people tracking private jets on Twitter who just clipped their first set of billionaire wings. Luxury goods magnate and LVMH CEO Bernard Arnault announced this week that he sold his private jet and admitted that he did so because he was tired of environmentalists shaming him online. Arno said he switched to simply renting private jets when he needs to fly, so he's still gonna fly private. So whether this will lower his CO2 emissions is unknown, but activists can take comfort in the fact that he has to spend more time readjusting a seat to get it just how he likes it, you know? Listen, this man could have gotten some props here. He could have just been like, yeah, I sold it. You guys did it. And I saw the error of my ways. But he had to sneak in like, don't worry, though. I'm still going to be renting jet. Like, don't tell people that. You would have gotten the credit. Everyone would have been happy. Delivered by a true billionaire. Yeah. Because it's like, you think you got me, but you didn't get me. I'm still doing my thing. Love that for you. And those are the headlines. One more thing before we go. If you've ever messaged a friend about your boss who won't stop texting you after hours or that one weird coworker who keeps posting weirdly suggestive Austin Power gifts in Slack, you're not <laughs> alone. Check out Crooked Media's newest podcast, Work Appropriate, debuting October 26th. Author and host Anne Helen Peterson sets out to find solutions to these and other listener questions, whether you work in an office, from your couch, or a sixth grade classroom. You can hear the trailer now wherever you get podcasts. That is all for today. If you like the show, make sure you subscribe, leave a review, enjoy the wonders of commercial air travel, and tell your friends to give us a listen. And if you're into reading and not just private plane trackers like me, what a day is also a nightly newsletter. Check it out and subscribe at crooked.com slash subscribe. I'm Juanita Tolliver. I'm Priyanka Arabindi. 
and, and enjoy, enjoy yourself, yourself for, for once, once James, James Corden. Corden. Stop yelling at people. I'm going to amend that. I don't really care if you're enjoying yourself. I would just say chill the hell out. Stop abusing restaurant workers. Yeah, I don't really care if you're having fun or not. Just don't abuse people. <laughs> What a Day is a production of Crooked Media. It's recorded and mixed by Bill Lance. Jazzy Marine and Raven Yamamoto are our associate producers. Our head writer is John Milstein, and our executive producer is Lita Martinez. Our theme music is by Colin Gilliard and Kashaka. As a chef and a restaurant owner, I'm as meticulous about my cookware as I am about my ingredients. That's why I love Made in Cookware. Each pan they make isn't just designed to perform, it's crafted to last. As a mom, I love that I can trust Made in. It's made from the world's finest materials, so I can feel good about what I'm feeding my family. I'm Chef Brooke Williamson, and I use Made in Cookware. Vacations are always good. Sometimes they're even great. And Celebrity Cruises is about to ruin all of that. Because once you explore with us, you'll never want a vacation any other way. And with new Quick Caribbean Escapes, you'll never want a weekend any other way either. Celebrity Cruises. Nothing comes close. Visit Celebrity.com, call 1-800-CELEBRITY, or contact your travel advisor. Ships Registry, Malta and Ecuador.